Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, uh, visitors, everyone who is here on this video this morning. I'm so glad and happy that you are able to come and worship Jesus with us together. So happy that we have this avenue to come and give God our worship and our glory, our adoration. Thank Him for everything that He does. And so uh, we just wanted to spend some time because this week we are, we are putting aside our interruption series. Over the last four weeks, we have very intentionally tried to say, hey, there is a problem, and it's more, and it's complex, and it's big, but Scripture has something to say. God has always been telling His people how to deal with injustice. And so from here on out, we talked about this on that Thursday event, that justice is going to be like a lens that we've learned to pick up, and that we're going to read all of God's Word with this lens of justice that we're going to read this and we're going to let these pages inform to us how we are supposed to be pursuing justice. And so even though we are putting this interruption series aside, we're also not going back to where we were because we definitely don't want to just go back to Mark to be to finish that off, to put that check mark. We don't want it to also seem like, okay, we're good, everything's okay, we're back to normal, here we go. But we want to continually be going after what the Holy Spirit is doing and moving in our church. We want to be a church that responds to what God is doing and not just our own plans. We always want to have our calendar up to the Lord and say, Lord, switch things around. Bring us to where you want us to go. In the beginning of, of quarantine, back in March, I think it was week two or week three, I read from Isaiah 43 to us. And I just want to remind us that again. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 18 and 19 say this. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not yet perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's this reminder that whenever God is doing something new, we have to be people who say yes to what he's doing, to climb on board, to say, Lord, please continue to move us. And so instead of going to Mark, we're going to put Mark back on the shelf. We're going to come back to it one day, even if it's just to, to wrap it up really quickly. But we're going to be going into a series that is, we, we've been just calling it a, a Deepening Our Souls series. And it's going to be around First and Second Peter. In, in the, the heart and the vision, the, the goal for this series here is because um, from these two books... I see, I see so much. I see a people that God is trying to turn us into. I see a people who are intimately aware of God's presence. A people that respond to him wherever he goes. That we even know where he is in the room and we respond. And it's an intimate relationship that we as a, as a church and as a family have with him. I see people who are emotionally mature who know the feelings, who know the processes that are going on in our heart, who are deepening in our understandings, even of ourselves and our hearts and our emotions, and that we are so uh, emotionally mature so that we can find new grounds, new levels of maturity in our spiritual walk. I see people who are connected with their hearts and connect their hearts to the suffering of the world. First Peter, man, really addresses that. That God's people are attuned with the suffering of this world, that we don't numb it down or cheapen it, but that we invite God into it and we know how to go and process everything that's happening. Let Jesus inform us how we are supposed to live our lives. I see a people who can talk to others about the hope that we carry, that there's something innately 
different about us that comes out of the deep, deep parts of who we are, our souls, that causes people to say, oh, you look different. You have this hope that we don't know, that I don't know. And I also see people who take care of our call to be a family. To know that when we accept Jesus, we are, we are adopted into this family and that we are put together to pursue Jesus with one another. That we are incomplete without experiencing God through our church body, through our community. And so today we're going to start this. We're going to start this Deepening Our Souls series by series by talking about 1 Peter chapter 1 and it's a sermon that I've been calling just a living hope. The big idea for us today, the one thing that we need to get today is that you are called to live a life of living hope, a hope that never ends and is not based on any of our circumstances. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 12 and we'll talk about this living hope that we are called to be born into again. So church, I've been in ministry for, uh, in ministry in some context for about 10 years now. And early on in my ministry, I, I would say that my style of leadership was uh, quite abrasive at times. My, my outlook, my, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do is that if, if I can just break you, if I can get, just get you to cry, if I can get you to realize the ends of you, of you, your character, if I could just break you, sort of like what the military does, if I could just get to you and just dismantle you a little bit, not completely, I wasn't abusive, um, but if I can just get you to cry, to realize <laughs> that you're not all that, then I'm doing my job. And if I'm not doing that, then there's something wrong. I've got to keep going harder. And, I, and I'm sorry to anyone who was under me years ago. I remember my second year in Chicago, I was, uh, I was over the next team that came into the part of the city that I was. And I lived with them and I mentored them and I coached them. And I just remember, ooh, it's like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you see that that is not okay. Oh, I know I don't like that. Oh, you said that about your neighbor? Okay, oh, let me show you how that is actually, you do that too. And I just would lean in and lean in and lean in until, until I finally got you, until I finally broke you. And eventually, hopefully, there were tears involved. I also remember when I worked at the spiritual formation office at Nyack, and I was a, there's a class for when ministry students were had to take this class to graduate and it was a deeper, deeper life series it was where we really jumped in and were intentional about taking care of the soul. It's called PSF. And as a PSF leader, I remember one time I was like, oh, this kid just, he does not get it. I need him to get it. I, I'm going to show him. And there was an exercise called the grief journal where you journal with the Holy Spirit about things, really difficult parts in your past. And there's just one kid in my in my group, and I was like, "No, you need to feel this. You need to get this. I'm not gonna let you go." And so I, as a, as a leader of the group, had the right to tell him to rewrite it. And I made this poor boy rewrite his grief journal three times until he until I finally felt like, "Okay, yeah, he got it. He he, he was wrestling with the depths and the grasping the magnitude of the pain in his heart." And uh, I see the heart in it a lot of times, but I am glad that God has matured me in my leadership, in my general outlook of not trying to break every single person that I meet. 
Um, but I just really wanted everyone to grab, oh, we have it good. And so let's look at the suffering that's around us. Let's really wrestle, get in there, get really deep in that suffering. But then I started to read parts of the scripture, the pastoral heart in the scripture at times. I, I looked at First and Second Peter, and I remember God just speaking to me, saying, people are, people are aware of suffering, Pedro. It's not your job. Suffering is all around us. Suffering is a part of life that no one escapes from. Everyone is acquainted with this suffering. What are you going to do not to fuel it, but to help it, to experience healing and bring others into healing? And that is a major reason why we are going through First and Second Peter now. Because Peter is this beautiful, First and Second Peter are these beautiful books that really weigh the harsh reality of life and the gospel hope that we carry every day and how they intersect and how they play with one another Let, let's let's set the scene here for what for what first peter did as a book first uh, peter was co commissioned by peter himself but it was penned by a man named sylvanius and it was the teachings of peter and it was what he wanted to say it was his pastoral overflow to the church in Asia Minor. Now, the dating of this, there isn't one exact period that everyone agrees on, but it was one thing we know for sure that it was decades into Peter's ministry. It was decades after Jesus. This is not the same Peter who we know who were so crashed before, who was so quick to act, who cut the ear off of the temple guard. No, this is a very much more mature, refined, um, vulnerable, aware Peter. This Peter has been around the block and has seen suffering and has seen persecution and has still held on to this love that he had for this risen King Jesus. He still, decades after Jesus left, is still pointing people Everyone that he meets, he's pointing them back to the cross and saying, hey, this, this wasn't just the man. In fact, we see that this, this letter is written while Peter is in Rome. Even his calling has upgraded and has grown. He no longer is just reaching out to um, the Jewish believers or to people in Israel, but his calling has expanded to everyone. And he was in Rome, he calls it Babylon, but he's in Rome and he, his heart is just overflowing for these people. Hey, this is, this is Jesus. He is the answer. If you're suffering, come to him. If you believe on him, wait on him. Don't, don't let it go. And it's just this, these two beautiful books of this pastor who has been pastoring for a long time now. He doesn't want his friends to let go. He's writing this book to the, to the Christians in Asia Minor. He lists them here. But in the reason why that's important is because these are Christians who are suffering, who have just recently said yes to Jesus, Gentile believers, and they are now losing a lot because of this. But a, a really important question, a question that we have to talk about now is why? Why did Peter write these books? And, and Peter is reaching out to these Christians, these newly confessed believers who are facing now facing persecution, who are suffering, who are seeing really hard things happen to one another and to themselves. 
And he's saying, yes, just hold on to Jesus. Keep your allegiance to Jesus. Stay with him. Don't don't turn your eyes from him. It's going to get hard. It's going to get even harder. Don't turn your back on Jesus. There's no other place. We see the echoes of when when Peter was a a much younger man, and Jesus says, you can leave. And he says, who who else has the words of eternal life? Where else am I going to go? And Peter, decades later, is still saying this. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't turn your back on Jesus because Jesus is the way. It's going to be hard, but don't turn your back. And so Peter writes this. It's not supposed to be like Romans. It's not this theological treatise. It's not these high liturgy, high theology points, but it's this heart of a pastor saying, it's going to be really hard. It already is really hard, but hold on. Don't turn your back. There is so much more life in Jesus than the death that you're seeing all around you. Because allegiance to Jesus for them, for these people here, means that you're being ostracized from your family a lot of the times. And for us, some of us might be like, oh, that's okay. I mean, (laughs) that would do me a favor. But this meant so much to these people, to be rejected by their family. That still happens today when some confess the name of Jesus. It's a, a loss of social status, which to some is crippling. A loss of your job, a loss of your income, a loss of your identity, everything that came in, that all the false things that we built who we are on and make ourselves proud. Um, a lot of times here, saying yes to Jesus meant saying no to all of these things and opening up yourself to persecution. At, a, at around the same time that this is penned, um, there was a Roman emperor and his name is Nero. And he is going after people who believe in Jesus. He is going after them. And I I hesitate to share this because in some sense it could be, to some of us it could be like, oh, well, my life is never that bad. But this is what they were saying yes to in, in Peter's day that could happen to them. Nero routinely just gathered Christians and he threw them into arenas, you know, the gladiator arenas, and just fed them to wild animals. There are firsthand documents of people of Christians who were put in an arena and fed to lions, fed to tigers, fed to all types of animals for entertainment. One of the things that Nero loved to do is that he would slowly impale you on a sick, and I'm sorry for as graphic as this is, but this was the reality that Peter was speaking to. Peter saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, don't turn your backs on Jesus. And he's doing this in the face of, hey, you might get impaled on a stake. You might be set on fire just so people could laugh on you, at you. Nero crucified Christians just to mock them. And there's even accounts of Nero wanted to host garden parties at night, and so he lit Christians on fire on stakes so that they would brighten up the night. This is what Peter was writing into. This is the harsh reality of what it meant what it might have meant for these people in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe in you. And Peter's saying, don't let go. No matter what the world throws at you, don't let go. And this this is what I pray gets deepened in our life, is this commitment to Jesus. In this series, that is what I'm praying, that in very real and practical ways, that our souls are deepened in our acceptance of Jesus as our Lord and Savior and what that means and the consequences of it. And that we would even just have boldness 
right here in our backyard, right here in Jersey City, to spread the name of Jesus because we are not being persecuted like this. But even if we were, that Jesus' name would still be worth it. That our allegiance to him would still need to be as strong as it is today, if not stronger. And so with all of this suffering that's happening around us, with this, the racial conversation that's happening even in our church and in our city and our country, with COVID still happening and people are out of work and we don't understand why this is happening and it, the question of why would God allow this to happen might still be fresh on some of our minds and we might still be wrestling and not having these answers and wanting these answers and searching for them. First and Second Peter are beautiful places for us to start. For us to acknowledge this call that we have to give Jesus more and more of our hearts and our souls so that the Holy Spirit can do the work that he needs to do and teach us how to never turn our backs on Jesus, how to face ridicule, how to be mocked, how to even be physically hurt for our faith in Jesus. For, us to, for there to be no circumstance in the world around us that would question or shake our faith in Jesus, that we would be so firmly grounded in Jesus that nothing would shake us, that even it, that when we have to ask difficult questions, we will wrestle through them, but how the answer of if we're going to stand with Jesus is firmly cemented before anything happens in our life. And so I pray that all of us further wrestle with this question. Will I ever turn my back on Jesus? No, never. Will I give Jesus everything? Will I ask him to, to be in every part of my life more and more every day? Remember that our big idea today, what, what 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses that we're covering, talk about is that we are called into this living hope and that this hope never ends and is not based on any of the world's circumstances. That even if corona or even if racial injustice happens, for the rest of our lives, we would say, Jesus, you know what? You're doing something good in me and in your, in your community of believers, and we're not going to turn our backs on you. And so what a great place for us to turn to after our interruption series. We spent four weeks saying there is a problem. God has something to say of it. And so now we focus on deepening our souls in Jesus so that we uh, find ourselves in firm foundation every day. And so Greg Wu is reading to us our passage for this week. Greg, thank you so much. And um, let's hear Greg bring us the word for this morning. Good morning, City Life. My name is Greg Wu, and I'm here with a scripture reading for today. A reading from 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks again, Greg. Thanks for reading the word for us this morning. Pray that it blessed you as you spend time on it this week. We see here our passage, and we, we once again hear this, the introduction of Peter's letter to the believers in Asia Minor, and, and these places, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And he says this important thing, that really this is not where we're going to be spending most of the morning, but I couldn't read this without bringing this up. In verse 2 it says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit and obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may peace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love how in, in Peter's letter where he's going to talk about hope, he's going to talk about, hey, don't, don't let go of your faith in Jesus. He starts where we should always start and he starts with God Himself and the whole Trinity. That the whole Trinity plays a role in our lives and cares about our whole lives, that the Father here, that He foreknew us, that that all of this isn't just random, that it isn't chaos and we're trying to make some meaning of it, but know that God the Father, in His foreknowledge, knew you're not an accident, your life is not an accident. Acts 17 says that God has ordained the days of your life. You are not an accident, you are loved, you are created, and this God, this Father, He calls you, His, He calls Himself your Father because He loves you, and he has been after you. And then we also see here that it's the sanctifying work of the Spirit is also here in you. That the same Spirit that allowed Jesus to perform every miracle that he ever did, the same Spirit that raised Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead is in you and is in me doing the work in our hearts, giving us new hearts like the Old Testament and the New Testament tell us that he is doing this work in us that we can in ourselves. And so we have hope because this Holy Spirit is producing something good in us, in our hearts, and he's changing us, and we're becoming new creatures. And that, oh man, that's, that's amazing right there. But then we're also told that this is for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Again, this is where Peter is coming from. Stay with Jesus. There's no better place than to be in Jesus' feet. We're going to suffer. Life is going to be hard. Let's do it with our Savior. Let's do it with the only one who loves us perfectly. Let's do it with the one who came here and died and has earned the right to sit at the right hand of the Father. Let's do it with this guy because this guy, will, there's no one better. Where else are we going to go who has the words of eternal life? And that these three things, that what did they produce in us through the sprinkling of his blood is grace and peace and that it be multiplied to you. That is, that is nice, even just to read it. But to think about Peter saying this, dictating this to Sylvanus, Sylvanus, knowing what 
the circumstances are for the people who are reading this, knowing that there are fellow believers who are being killed and being made a fun of and whose death is just a joke to so many. It sheds new light in this, new light, a oh, new commitment. Jesus, let's not hold, let's not stray away from Jesus. Let's stay tight with Jesus because there's no other place. And so this really launches us perfectly in, in this whole book, especially in this part here where Peter starts talking about being born again. And I've been calling this a living hope. Let's spend some time going through verses 3 to 5 to really talk about this living hope that we are called into and to know where to go from there. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that Peter starts here. I love that this is what compels him to start writing, that this is what the Holy Spirit puts on his heart. And it's just these couple of words that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I think a lot of us have this idea of being born again. We, we have that cemented. We know what that means. Some of us, we're still not even there. But, but for most of us, we know oh, that we are born again Christians, right? But then this idea of that we're born again, that Jesus causes us to be born again into this living hope, I think is an idea that is severely underdeveloped in our lives, in our spiritual walk, in our daily practical lives. I think that it's the missing link for so many people to go from all of these things that we believe to our lives being totally changed and actually going after Jesus seriously with our action, with our deeds, with what we do. I think that this living hope can help us to live these lives that we're really called to be and that we really want to be living. I, I, again, I think this living hope is, is one of the biggest underdeveloped biblical promises in all of Scripture. I think that the entire world, me included, would be radically changed if we, if we just understood this and if our lives were lived like we really understood this. And it's, it, let's start here. It's this idea that hope determines you. That your hope really determines you. What you live for, what you stand for, what you do, what you're willing to go through, what you're willing to face. Where your hope is, is so crucially important. Hope determines you. I don't know if you're like me and you have this tendency to uh, either say something knowing that you don't fully believe it sometimes or saying something really thinking that you believe it and then one day you realize that um, that was a shallow, that you held that pretty shallowly. Like, I might say to people often that other countries are good at soccer. I might say that to even some people here in our church. I might say that uh, other countries play soccer as beautifully as we do. But deep down inside, I know that's not true. I Deep down inside, I don't believe that. I'm sorry if I've said that to any of you. But then I'm also very guilty of saying things like, oh, money isn't everything. And yet money is one of the things that has, over the course of my life, stressed me out more than anything, has kept me awake, 
has kept has been in the way of relationships that I have pursued it in unhealthy ways at times. And uh, I think a lot of this is tied to hope and what determines you. Hope is, in a lot of ways, what we most intimately live our lives for. Hope is our desires. Hope is this idea in the Bible of what we're willing to wait for, what we're willing to work for, what we're not willing to let go of. Hope ultimately is what drives so much of what's important in our lives because where our hopes are, that's what we don't, that's what we're chasing, that's what we don't want to let go of. Hope also, I love this idea that in biblical hope, hope has nothing to do with being optimistic or pessimistic. Some of the most pessimistic people in scripture had hope, had godly hope. And even though all the circumstances were looking so bad, they never lost this hope that Jesus, that God would do something. And so let's talk about how scripture itself um, develops this idea of hope. Let's talk about it in the, even in the language. Oh, in, in scripture, there have been three main words to talk about hope, and they each carry forward this idea of what hope really is. The first one is a Hebrew word, and it's, it's yachau, and it means to wait. That what you hope for is what you're willing to sit down and wait for. And so when we say, Jesus, I wait on you, God, I wait on you, it's because, Jesus, you are our hope. I hope. My hope is in you. I only want what you have for me. I'll wait here. I'll sit here and I'll wait for what you have to do. It communicates trust. It communicates what's really important. That God is the one that's in control and not us. And then we have this word kava, which is this really, really cool word. Kava is literal picture because every Hebrew word has a literal picture. Uh, kava is this cord. It's this cord that you get on both ends and you push and you push and you push until one day it snaps. And it's this idea that hope is this ten tension and expectation until one day it breaks and something happens and God does it. And so when I kavan the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, I'm waiting on, for, on you to do something. I'm waiting because I trust you because I know I can't do this for myself. This is too big for me or it's too important, and I don't want to do it in my own strength. I kava for you. I wait here as you're adding this tension, as the world around me has this tension, and I'm feeling so stressed out. I don't know what to do, but I'll sit here and I'll wait for you until it snaps, until you do something, until your act, your plan comes to fruition. And so both, both of these words here in Hebrew are, are these waiting words. Hope is what we wait for. Hope is what we trust that will happen. You only wait on the Lord if, you, if your hope is in Him to be the one who does it. If, he, if God isn't your hope, you're the one going out there and doing all these things and working for your, your own plan out and, and trying to get all your bases covered, which is not always a bad thing, but when the things that God is telling you to wait on Him for, can we sit here? Do we trust Him when our finances aren't going well? Do we trust Him when we're losing relationships because of the gospel? Do we trust Him during a pandemic? To say, God, I don't know what's happening here. Do we trust him with our racial identities and our racial wounds? Jesus, I can't heal this. This is too big. I'm going to wait here and I'm going to ask and I'm going to pray and I'm going to be in a relationship with you. And I'm going to hear the voices of the people around me. But Lord, I, need, I wait on you to do something to bring me the healing that I need. And then we get to the New Testament and there's a word here that's even, that is the living hope word here that we have and it's El Peace. And El Peace 
further develops this idea of waiting, of biblical waiting, of biblical hope, in that it says, well, when you held peace for the Lord, it's always, it's tied to something. And so I held peace. We have this held peace that is living here because it's tied to Jesus. We're not only just sitting here in this room waiting on something, but we're actually, oh, this held peace is based on this living hope, on this, this God who is alive, that he came and he lived here and he died on the cross, but he is alive and he will never die again. I'm building this hope. I'm building my trust. I'm waiting on this man here, Jesus Christ, who is infinite, who is my savior, who is my king. You know, Peter says here the El Peace, the living El Peace, but then Paul also uses this word when he talks about the El Peace of glory, waiting on glory, waiting on God's plan to be established to come here. It's this expectation of God's action and it's built on who he is. One of the things that is so important about hope and about El Peace and about these waiting words is that what is your waiting built on? What is What are your hopes built on? Is it just on your career or your circumstances or your life? Are you building your own little kingdom? Or are you alpicing? Are you kavaying? Are you yachaling on the Lord? Asking him to give you what you need, especially in suffering. Remember, Peter is writing to people who are suffering. And he's telling them, you know what? I know your friends are dying. I know your family's rejecting you. I know all of this. Sit here and let's wait. And, and, and hope doesn't always look like waiting, but it's this posture of waiting, of expectancy from the Lord. And so we, we, we have to beg this question that any time in life when we find that we have put our hope, put the thing that we're waiting for on anything that's finite, anything that comes from the world, or any person or any circumstance, that this hope is going to fade and it's going to crumble. That that is what suffering does. That is what suffering produces, is that it, it strips away all of the false places that our hope, that our trust, our expectations, the thing that we want, what is it built on? If it's built on anything that's finite, it's going to die. Even if in your marriage, your hope is in your spouse, one day, they're not going to be there or you won't be there, or your parents won't be there, or your friends won't be here, or your bank account might not be there. That we can lose all these things, but you know what? Our, our hope is built on this living hope that will never die. If your hope is built on Jesus, it's this living hope that is eternal, that will never be taken away from you, that will never be tarnished. We're going to talk about that in a second, but we have to talk about this hope. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting on? Who has our trust? Who do we think is going to be on our behalf when we can't do anything about it? When we're suffering, when the world is after us, when the kingdom of darkness is trying to kill us, where is our hope ultimately in? Suffering has this way of peeling back everything that's false. Oh Lord, I, I thought this was going to help me. I don't have it anymore. Lord, what's going on? Just like in Job, in Job, when everything was taken from him and he was angry and he yelled and he even screamed, but the Bible says that he didn't sin because his hope was in the Lord. And so let's talk about the second thing about hope, a believer's heart. Let's look at verses 5 to 10 really quick. Verse 5 starts off saying this, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think it's so important when talking about hope, and Peter does here too. He starts talking about our hearts. He starts talking about our expectations. He starts talking about the tested genuineness of our faith. And I want, us to, I want to talk about our hearts right now because our, our, a believer's heart is so valuable. A believer's heart is where suffering in the world and our hope interact, intersect. And it's where they wrestle and mingle. And it's where we allow one to win over the other. What are we doing with our hearts and suffering when it ties to hope? And let's look at verse 5 really, really specifically. That it's because of God's power that we are guarded through faith for salvation that will be revealed in the last time. This again is a, is a part of this living hope. It's alive and it's secure because you know what? Actually, it's already guaranteed. It's already ready for us there. And it's going to be revealed at the end time. That we always have final hope because we know that our God has, is victorious and that one day we're going to see it come. Though it might not come in our lives, but it's going to happen. And that certainty gives us courage. Because our, our hope and our faith is promised to us and is kept for us until the time our hearts can withstand anything that comes its way. A believer's heart is so important because we are always called to be in the world but not be of the world. And so we, we suffer what goes on here because we're people and we have neighbors and we have hearts. But yet our, our heart has to also hold, that, hold on to this hope. Tim Keller says it, says it like this. He says that a, a believer's heart is always extremely sad and extremely happy. That, that a believer is the only person in the world, a believer in Jesus is the only person in the world who truly grasps all the suffering and yet at the same time truly grasps joy that's inexpressible like we read about today. That because we follow Jesus and because he is our Lord and our Savior, we have this promise that we know can not be separated from us, but yet we are called to be present in all of the pain that's in this world, all of the suffering, all of the testing, every part of it, whether it's a part of God's plan or if it's the kingdom of darkness attacking us, that we are called to be people who have hearts that are emotionally present and emotionally mature, that we go through the deep, deep sorrows of this world and somehow that that sorrow, if we have this living hope, results in something that's good. That even in, this, even in the face of all of this evil, that hope is produced out of it. The sorrow and the grief here that we read about in Scripture, that we know personally, that we try and counsel one another in, that we walk alongside and, and we try to be a, a part of establishing God's gospel kingdom here, 
that it produces something in us that is like gold, it says. Even though gold fades away, it's this valuable thing, it's this heavy thing, it's this thing that when we suffer and it points us back to Jesus, the Holy Spirit does this work in us and we know that there's something real happening, something heavy, something that I can be like, oh, I know where I was 10 years ago and, and where I am right now, Lord, it's only because of your mercy and your grace. I know how I would have responded to this in the past, but because I have this hope, I don't do that anymore because you have brought me somewhere special. Peter knows that he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted and suffering. And yet what he says to them is, don't, don't give up. Don't lose your faith. Don't turn your back on Jesus. We're going to read in, in a little later on in another week about uh, some of these Christians who want to turn their back, who want to uh, say no to Jesus. But he's like, hold on, hold on, because you know what? This is producing something good in you. And we say that, I say that to all of us today, that suffering, when we do it with Christ, when we do it with this, with this lens of a living hope, when we give it to God, and when we let Him inform our hearts and be in here and doing the work and sanctifying us like the Holy Spirit is told to do now, it produces something in us that we can't produce in ourselves. But it produces this grace and this peace that, that does not come from us. That when we have this living hope, the heart of a believer is always beating really big. Tim Keller also says that a believer's heart is always so big because we are always juggling all of these things at the same time. And I know in this season we have been juggling a lot and I've heard it and I hear the exhaustion in us and I feel it in myself at times too. And the only thing that keeps us going is that we have this living hope. This living hope that we pray will produce something good out of all of this. And, and we don't just say this because this makes sense. We don't just say this because, oh, it's the right thing to say. But we say this, because, I preach this because it was the very example that even Jesus gave us. We talked last week about following Jesus' example when it's really hard. And I just want to turn our attention to the night before Jesus died on the cross, where in Matthew 26, he says, that My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That Jesus, even Jesus, even the one, the Savior, the Messiah, he came here and he suffered too. And he said to Jesus, to God one day, his father is like, oh, I have so much sorrow in me that I'm almost dying just from this sorrow. In Luke 22, he also says this, 22 verses 41 to 44, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And I want to introduce this word to us. It's, it's this Greek word. It's called lipeo. And lipeo is the suffering that is described here. It's the very suffering that we see uh, Peter talk about. Jesus went through it himself. Jesus went through this suffering. The, the Christian life is not about numbing ourselves. It's not about being, oh, I'm okay. You know what? Oh, Jesus is with me. I'm good. It's not about excusing the bad things that happened to us. It's not about saying, oh, I don't know, but Jesus, I'm so humble and meek. You make your way. But no, the Christian heart is meant to wrestle with the sufferings of this world, that in our faith, Jesus empowers us. Our faith in Jesus empowers us. This living hope empowers us 
to wrestle with this lipeo that we suffer all the time, that Jesus Christ himself came here and he was so troubled that he started bleeding blood and he started asking the Lord, Lord, I can't do this. Please remove this from me. We, we have this tendency to just be like, oh, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or God is with me without really wrestling with the depths of the suffering in this world and that we face ourselves. But church, we have every freedom and liberty to say, you know what, God, this is messed up. I don't like this. Let me wrestle with this. I need you to do something with this pain that I feel. I need you to do something with this abuse that I went through. I need you to help me have hope because because of this and because of that or because of the way people treat me, because of the way I look. But no, Jesus in his example, he said, you know what? My heart is so heavy right now that when all of Jesus' circumstances were horrible, when he knew the cross was in front of him, he suffered through this lipeo and he gave it to God and he said, you know what, Lord, I will go through the suffering. If we just did the same, if we just said, you know, Jesus, I, I can't do this, walk me through this. Produce something in me that's real. We're going to continue to, for, to develop this a little bit more, but let's put, this, let's put this here on the back iron for a second. Let's let it simmer and reduce a little bit and get really delicious for all of our culinary experts here. And let's talk again about our last section, which is just, I've been calling it, living in this hope. I want us to go back, and we don't do this often, but let's go back to where we started, verses 3 and 4 again. 3 and 4 have something that we didn't really focus on yet that makes all of this just so complete and guaranteed for you and for me. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love this, and we need this to be true, or else this living hope will not be what God says it is. First is that it's secured, that it's guaranteed, that there's nothing we can do to ruin it, that God himself keeps it in heaven for us, where it will never be tarnished, will it never be affected in any way. Your inheritance, this living hope, is kept and guarded by God himself in heaven that it is unperishable, that it will never go bad. Again, it's this idea of what is our hope built on? Is it built on something that is finite, that will perish? No, our hope, our Christian hope, our biblical hope is built on Jesus, is built on the person of Jesus, because that is imperishable. It's undefiled, that we can't get it dirty, that we can't put dirt on it, that when we are messy and when we're dirty and when we're broken and when we sin, that we, we have this idea, oh Lord, have I done enough to merit this? It, it, this isn't a casino. This isn't a place where we're like just hoping that when we meet God, he'll say yes, but no. But that it is undefiled, that there is nothing we do to tarnish it because God keeps it up in heaven, even away from other people, for other people not to tarnish it, but even for us not to tarnish it ourselves. That God keeps our hope safe in heaven and that it's secure there and unfading. That is like this light, this unfading light that will never diminish. That whether you've been a Christian for two days, two hours, or four decades, that it still shines as bright as it did the first day. 
I think about Peter here and his zeal for the Lord when he was with them and how crazy and outspoken he was at time, how foolish he seemed that time. But you know what? Then we see this Peter here decades later who is just as just as much loves his Savior, loves his Lord, who's matured, who is more like a, a fine wine, who has learned a couple of lessons. He's been around the block a couple of times and he is still as moved by Jesus's love by this hope that he has been given on this day like he did when he was still with Jesus. And that is this passion that, and this life and this love that has not diminished in any way, that still burns so bright and bright and lighting up the way for Peter as he's trying to serve these Christians who are now just being persecuted and saying, don't hold on, I've been with Jesus a long time and this light has not faded, just don't hold on, keep the hope up. I love how how this is guarded for us and has kept in heaven for us. That again, we don't have to hope that one day we will, our good will outweigh our bad, but that when we confess Jesus, we have this hope that is not built on us, it's not built on our circumstances, it's also not built on what we've done, because we'll never do enough good, but that it's in heaven and it's there waiting for us. That gives us so much peace and security in our lives that we can pursue God in love, that we can pursue Him and just be grateful and have this joy. It also allows us to endure anything. This living hope helps us to endure anything that the world throws our way. And I don't want that to sound shallow or callous because I I know how much suffering there is in the world and how little of it I've seen. But when you know this Jesus, when you have him in front of you, when it's this joy set before you, we can endure anything because Christ endured any, everything for us. And so our endurance isn't based on our character because our character will crack. Our, our endurance isn't based on our temperament because whether you're optimistic or a pessimist, life changes quickly and it's not based on any of that. It's based on something that is alive in heaven. We can endure because of this hope. When the temperature gets, starts to get turned up, we can say, Jesus, I need you to be here. And, and just like in the Star Wars movies, when the light <laughs> rises up to meet the darkness, that this hope will be building and building and building in us through our experiences, through us saying, Jesus, where are you going? I'll go there. I'll follow you. I'll do what you have for me to do. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how the world economy is, no matter how my relationships are, no matter what I lose, Jesus, my hope is in you, and it only comes from you. And it also just begs this question, how do, we know, how do we know that we have this hope? Are we living in it? God gave, gave us a, diagno- a diagnostic here for us to know, Jesus, am I living in this hope? Because we often don't feel victorious. I don't feel victorious in my life all the time. But how do I know that this is for real? How do I know that I'm living in this hope? And the answer here isn't so straightforward, but it's, it's helpful and it's what we need to know. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do we know we're living in this living hope? 
How do we know that we're growing in this living hope? How do we know that we're in this hope more than we were a year ago or a month ago? It's this love. That love is this outcome of this living hope, of saying yes to the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work, of saying yes, Father, please, I know that you foreknew me and I tie myself to obedience to Jesus Christ. I want this love that you talked about because it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like this inexpressible joy that we are also promised here. This is genuineness of our faith that is being raised. Raised. That is just the genuineness of our faith that is being tested and purified. Church, I, I hate suffering. We all hate suffering. But it produces something good in our lives. It produces this thing that is real and gives us depth. and gives us maturity. And it also makes us know our Father more. And makes us know our Spirit who is doing this work in us. And makes us know our Savior more and rely on Him. And, and I wanted to end this section here by saying this. Hebrews 12, 2. We talked about how Jesus dealt with his, his own lipeo, right, in the garden. How he, God, please remove this. Father, remove this from me. He was so anxious and so nervous. Even the fact that he was in the garden was against uh, the Passover rules. He was thinking about not going through with this. In his humanity, he was afraid. He was shaken. He was going through this lipeo. But you know what he said? You know what scripture tells us that kept him going forward? Hebrews, two said, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, this joy that Jesus had set before him, it was a lot of things, but it was also you and it was me. It was a church. It was this body that Jesus was setting together for himself. That Jesus had this joy set before him, living eternally with his Father, living eternally with the Spirit, living eternally with you and with me. He loves that so much that he's guarding that for us in heaven, for us not to be able to get in the way, for us not to be able to dirty it. But he, his joy that was set before him was to have you with him in heaven, to have me with him in heaven. That this, that this hope here, also this El Peace is has radically changed this entire creation and that even all of creation is going to experience Jesus in his fullness at some point in the future. And so what else should we base our hope on? What else should we say, okay, I'm going to sit here and wait on this, this living hope, this hope that will never fail me, that won't give me a way out of all the suffering in my life, but that will make sense of it all, that will produce something good. Church, Suffering is a part of our world, and we're going to suffer whether we know Jesus or whether we don't. But I want this living hope in my heart. I want this living hope to make my heart so big and so aware and so emotionally present so that I know what I'm going through, so that I know what to give Jesus, so that I know how to endure. Jesus had this joy set before him. And may that be true for us too, to know our Savior, to know our Lord, to be just, I'm not going to turn my back on you because I want to be with you eternally. 
I want to be in your kingdom and I want to be in your order. I want you to wipe away every tear that I've ever cried. I want you to make sense of this corona season. I want you to make sense of the racial injustice. I want you to do something and act powerfully and establish your order here in my life. Give me this hope because I can't do it without your hope. I can endure it if I have you. If I know you're doing something, I can endure it. And so church, this is, this is what this living hope is all about. That we're not left here alone, but that we have this Savior who loves us. And so let's conclude by talking about just a couple more things. I wanted to touch on the last two verses. We're not going to be able to give it the attention that it requires, the attention that would I would love to pour into this. But it's, it's basically saying this. a lot From 10 to 12, it's saying this, you know. God has been working this plan out. He has this salvation plan, and he gave it to the prophets, and the prophets prophesied in parts. They prophesied glimpses of the Savior who would come, who would live, who would know suffering. Isaiah 53 talks about this suffering servant. Oh, so many places in the Old Testament we see this that the Savior is going to come. He's not just going to be winning all of the times, but he's going to be suffering. He's going to have this living hope, and then he's going to give it to all of us. Because our hope is built on this man. It's built on this Savior. And so, church, we realize that this church isn't natural. It isn't from the world. It's inexpressible is what even it produces in us. That Jesus came and he overcame the world. He overcame Satan and his kingdom. And through sacrificing and through suffering, he built this eternal kingdom and offered it freely to you and to me through his grace and his mercy and his peace. It's my hope for us in this series that we start to really live out this living hope, that we find ourselves, that no circumstance in our life can change this commitment and this pursuit that we have of Jesus Christ, that we have these hearts that are so huge and enlarged and beating so powerfully that we cry together, that we laugh together, that we suffer together, that we fight for one another, and that we do this all together. I pray that, our, that God just so changes us and so influences our lives and what we're willing to endure for His sake, that we don't live lives that look the same. I also have been really praying about uh, leading our church through a, a emotional maturation. Kathy taught me today, she was talking to me this, this morning about how when we numb our pain, we also numb our joy. That we be a people who so submit to Jesus that we say, Jesus, I don't want to suffer, but I want this joy inexpressible. So do the work in me to get, this, to get me to somewhere good. Do this work in me that I can't do for myself. And so, believers, now it's up to us to start asking these difficult questions about us and about our lives. What are we really waiting on? Is our hope really in the things that we've built for ourselves? Is it in the things that we can do? Our talents? Is it in our job? Is it in our status? Is it in our race? Is it in anything that is not built on Jesus? And suffering will expose these things out in life. One of, the, one of the promises that God gives us is that suffering will refine us. If we believe in Him and if we call on Jesus, He will refine us. And so in this season where, where we still have so many questions, where we don't know where to go, let's continue to be Jesus. I want you to be my living hope. I want you to help me suffer well. I want you 
to tell me, teach me what it looks like to be holy, to be a living stone. Next week, or, in, or the week after that, we're going to be talking about a living stone. Jesus, what are you talking about in here? It doesn't make sense to me, but I want to endure. I want to go through all of life's circumstances and not let go of you for a second. And so where, where do we put our, our hope on finite things? And let's start building them towards things that are eternal. Church, I love you. We're going to be going into our MC calls now. We're going to be going through our prompt questions and really digging in. Where is our hope? What do we really wait on? What is this idea of waiting? If we wait on the Lord, if we give Him the deepest sufferings that we go through, will He produce something that's good? Will He make sense of all this tragedy? Church, Peter was convinced that he did. I'm convinced that he still does. And so let, let's continue to be going after this living hope together. We'll see you next week. We'll see you in our MCs. We love you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. So church, here are our prompt questions for us to wrestle through in our MCs. I pray that these questions are don't give us any room to hide in them or to not go after the deeper things, but this whole series is about us. Let's dive in. Let's go after it together. Let's see where our hope is and where we need to ask God to change that. Prompt question number one. How are Christians called to wait on God through life struggles? How is it that we take all of these things, these things that really hurt us, that are really real, just like Jesus did in the garden? How do we take these things and actually bring them to God? I know we want to even do that at times, but how do we actually start doing that? How do you do that in your life? How have you done it in your life? How do we bring this to this living hope that we're called to live in. Our second prompt question is this. What emotion do you feel when you are told that Jesus withstood the cross because you were his joy that was set before him? This isn't an intellectual question. This isn't about uh, these ideas that you have. What is the emotion that you feel when you're told that Jesus went on the cross because he wanted you? Let's, let's connect with our emotions a little bit more on this one. Let's connect and have it influence our hearts. What do you feel when I tell you that Jesus went on the cross for you because he loved you? Question three is really simple. Are you good at waiting on God? If yes, how did you learn this? If not, why? I pray that God teaches us this lesson to live in this living hope, to be consumed by it, to have it help us endure all of life's struggles. And so our church will be praying for you on these calls. I'll be on one of them myself. We love you. We're excited to be together. And I'll be...